Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. In the book of James, and let me read to you a couple of passages where we're going to go today. James chapter 5, verses 7 and 9 says, be patient. How many of you guys like that word, patience? Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So don't grumble against one another. We talked a lot about the mouth last week. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. It continues, it says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord had finally brought about. See, at the end of everything, no matter how tough, no matter how much pain, no matter how much we face, the conclusion always comes to the Lord is full of compassion and full of mercy. Now, I want you to take a breath, and then we're going to switch over to Mark chapter 10. I'm going to parallel these two passages today. Mark chapter 10. It says, Next they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho with a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth passing by, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I, I want to speak to you today around this idea of being patient in the pain being patient in the pain. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we dive into your words, speak to us, change us, transform us in a way that only you can. And help us to see that through it all, you are faithful, you are compassionate, and you are merciful, and you are working all things for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. Well, I, I want to take you to a painting, one of my favorite paintings on the planet. Many of you guys have probably seen this. It's painted by a man by the name of Van Gogh. Anybody ever heard of Vincent Van Gogh? Pretty famous painter. I mean, a little bit famous, kind of famous, uh, extremely famous. So if you haven't heard of him, uh, you probably will at some point in your life. But he paints this, this painting called The Starry Night. And, and you can see it's one of my favorite portraits. Um, and matter of fact, his life was one of my favorite lives to study because it, it's pretty interesting some of the things that he had to go through and some of the discoveries that he had along the way. But as you see, there are traces of yellow. Now, yellow for Van Gogh, it, it meant hope. It, it, it meant truth. It, it meant substance. And so you can see that uh, basically in his perception in regards to this painting that Truth is found in creation. It's found in, in the stars. It's found in the sky. And you see traces of yellow throughout this entire painting except for the church. The church is completely dark in his painting. No traces of yellow. No light. No life. The very place that should be the beacon of light, the beacon of yellow, the beacon of hope, the beacon of love is colorless. It's blacked out. It's dark. It's dark. You see, Van Gogh found himself, when he painted this, he was in a place of depression. He'd lost his faith. He strayed away from Christ and the truth of the gospel. And he was dealing with some pain. And for him, it was really hard to see God in the dark. It was hard to see God in the midst of his pain. And I think that's true for all of us. Sometimes it can be hard to see. 
Like everything around us is gray. Sometimes it's distorted. When we're facing pain, it's just not fun, especially when the duration of pain goes for a long period of time. Now, if you're living in the same world that I am, as you turn on the news, you can see that pain is everywhere. And literally, last night, this is a true story. Sometimes you just want to grab some ice cream, grab some chips. You know Jesus is coming soon. So you're like, let us wait. Come quickly, Lord. That's exactly what I did last night. I got some Ben and Jerry's cookie dough at like 1030 at night, 7-Eleven. Shot out to 7-Eleven. So good. But, but I think we, we see in our country as we look out, we see pain. Turn on the news, we see, we see pain. I think as we look in our communities, we see pain. In our city, we see pain. As we look in some of our homes right now, we see pain. Even as we look into our own heart, you might find some pain. And, and pain, it's, it's a tough thing to wrestle through, but pain isn't always bad. You know, in Sam Chan's book, uh, I think it's called, it's, it's something about leadership. And um, it's called, one of his, his famous quotes in this book is, leadership is bleedership. Because it's just tough. He talks about all these leadership challenges. And, and one of the girls that he tells a story of is a girl by the name of Taya. And, and she had a, what's called congenital indifference to pain. Meaning she just doesn't feel pain. And that may not seem like, like a big deal. Some of us would be like, sign me up. I would love not to feel physical pain. And how they figured out that she had this disease was um, her mom heard a cry coming from her crib and she had bit off her finger and was painting on the wall with her blood. How many of you guys know for a parent? It's a little bit horrific. And, and this, this became such a tension in their home. It, it, it affected their marriage. Um, her dad ended up leaving. He said, my daughter is a monster. She wasn't a monster. She was just a life exemplified of what it is to live without pain. So she suffered a ton of different elements, right? I mean, she, she wasn't just her finger. I mean, there was just a constant hurting of herself because she just could, she couldn't feel it. And so pain's not always a bad thing. I, I think one of the things that pain does is it helps us to realize that something's wrong, that something is broken. How many of you guys know it's important when you're starting to feel pain in your body, you might be able to catch something early before it manifests into something greater. I don't know if, if you're like me where you may find some pain in your body, and then you're like, oh, it's all good, nothing's wrong with it, it's going to be fine. It's not going to go get it checked out. Then all of a sudden it grows into something uh, potentially worse. And so we just learned real quickly in life that pain is a part of life. We just can't get away from pain. So I don't think it's hard for you and I to acknowledge there is pain, but I think it is hard to be patient in the midst of it. It's just hard to be patient in pain. So this last week, I went to the doctor, back to the doctor for my wrist. Now, I've seen three different doctors because I was thoroughly convinced something else is wrong with my bone. Now, for those of you guys who don't know, I broke my wrist at the skate park with my kids. Yep. And I had had a great time. It was on my daughter's birthday, uh, September 24th. So it's been a while. It's been like nine weeks. And so I'm pushing through therapy, and the therapist is like, listen, you got to just push through. And I told her, I said, I- I'm pretty good with pain. Like, I can-, I can handle a lot of pain. But this doesn't feel like I'm pressing through scar tissue and, you know, some stiffness. This feels like something is stabbing me immensely every time I force it, which is supposed to help me, but it feels like it's killing me. Well, you know, I mean, I'm looking at your thing. And she's the sweetest lady, but she can only go with, by what the doctor says, right? The doctor says, you're good. I'm like, but I'm not good. So I went back twice first time second time and then finally a third time I saw a different doctor I said listen 
something is wrong with my wrist. I just, I'm not supposed to be feeling it like this. So she did all the tests and everything was fine. Everything. She did all the tendons, bending all this way. But then she took my wrist. She just moved it one way. And it's, ah! She said, that is not normal. So she gave me another x-ray and she blew it up. So comes to find out, and praise God, I'm my own advocate. Because I didn't just break the side of my wrist like they thought. I broke it all the way through the bone. So she said, every time you're forcing that, you're taking the fracture and you're going, painful. So I said, listen, what do I do? She said, well, I would have put you through surgery and you would have been in a cast for six months. But the good news is it's healing. So let's just keep going, right? So I was like, okay, well, what, what does this mean? She says, it's probably going to hurt and be swollen for about a year. Come on, how many guys know it's, the snow is coming. The snowboard is calling. Are you with me? Still going. Wrist guards. So, so the, the, the bottom line, the bottom line is it's hard to be patient in the pain. Now, let me rewind to, to high school just in case you didn't catch that one. I broke this wrist in high school. NPE sliding into second base, snap. Coach looks at my wrist, it's deformed, turns pale white, sends me to the office. So no big deal, just go get my wrist fixed. But the problem was is I had to wait because I'm in Castro Valley and my mom works in San Francisco. And so I'm waiting in the pain for my mom to get off work, jump on BART, go to the bar station, get in her car, come to Castro Valley, and then we get in the car and she has to take me to Pleasanton. So they can stick me with Novocaine and snap my wrist back in place and move on. Let's just, I, I figure we're just going to keep it balanced out. Broke this one. Let's level it out with this one. And then we can move on with life, right? But we just don't like to be paid. It's, it's just hard. It's hard to be patient in the pain. Some of us, can we give a big shout out to all of our first responders in this hour? Thank you so much. But I think you, you, you might not have broken your wrist, but I think we can all identify with what it's like to wait in the emergency room when you're not feeling good, when you're not doing well. And, and it's, just, it's just hard to wait in the pain. Some of you right now, you might not be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Some of you we know how it feels to have that sense of, I just don't think I'm going to make it. I don't think I have what it takes. And you feel very limited in the midst of your pain. You know, there was a, a news reporter, she interviewed a scuba diver. And he was not just any scuba diver, but a deep sea Navy diver. And as she was walking through this interview, he said, you know, when I dive, sometimes it gets so dark, it's so deep, it's impossible not to get disoriented. He said, sometimes it's really terrifying when you can't see your hand in front of your face. And on many occasions, we don't know which way is up or down because it's just pitch black. And so we, we just get so confused and disoriented. We don't know which is up, which is down. And that's very scary when you're underwater because you definitely want to swim upwards when you're ready to, to get out. And so she said, well, how do you do it then? How do you find your way when it's pitch black? And the diver, without hesitation, said, it's very easy. I just feel for the bubbles. I just feel for the bubbles because the bubbles always rise to the surface. And I believe James wants to give us three bubbles today. As you and I face pain, whether it's now, uh, whether you're going to face pain later, you're going to want to hold on to these bubbles. You're going to want to look for them when you're not really sure which way is, is down. You're not really sure which way is up. You feel a little bit confused. And I think Mark chapter 10, the story of blind Bartimaeus, really helps uh, to paint a picture of what James is talking about. So let me take you to Jericho where this blind man was found. 
Jericho is, is on your way to Jerusalem, in between Galilee and Jerusalem. So as you're leaving Galilee, Jesus' hometown, and you're moving on up toward Jerusalem, you're going to pass by Jericho. I've been to the city, have not been in the city, but I will next time we go to Israel. I'm excited about that. And uh, we were supposed to go to, to Israel as a church in February, but how many of you guys know that's not happening this year? Um, but hopefully it'll happen next year. But this blind man... As Jesus is passing through Jericho, he's sitting on the very dust and dirt of one of the greatest miracles of all time. God told uh, Moses to lead the people out of slavery in the Old Testament. They've been enslaved for about 400 years. After Moses died, Joshua took over. Joshua was going to be the one to lead the Israelites into the promised land. So he crossed the Jordan River with a couple of million people. And they're getting ready to enter into the promised land. And the first city that they face... The first battle that is before them to fight is the battle of Jericho, the city of Jericho. Now, the city of Jericho was, was a walled, fortified city. It's like a military nightmare. We've talked a, a lot about it before. But, but for God, it wasn't a big deal. He just said, hey, Josh, go get it, bro. Go take the city. And, and the problem for Josh is Josh is looking at it, and he's like, man, these walls are huge. How, how are we going to do this? Now, just to give you guys a little bit of perspective, this retaining wall was about 14 feet. And then you climb up to this wall, which is about 25 feet tall by 6 feet in depth. And then you have this awkward grade. Like, if you're a soldier, you do not want to be here when you're trying to invade a city, right? Because, you know, the guys just drop rocks on you. Oh. Uh, I would have loved that as a kid, by the way. Um, just making sure you're awake. Tough crowd. So, uh, so you climb up to, to the, the last wall, 14 feet by 12 feet thick. That is huge. And God said, go get it. Go get it. And so he said, God told, gave uh, Joshua instructions. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to march around the city seven times. I want you to put the priests out in front of the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God would reside. And on the seventh time around, let out a big shout. Let the priests blow those horns and breakthrough was about to happen. And so that's exactly what they did. God's spirit broke out. The walls uh, broke through. There was a spiritual breakthrough in that moment. And I say spiritual because I think it's interesting that on the front of the battle line, he had the priests with horns. Because what needed to happen wasn't simply just in the natural. Something needed to break in the supernatural because the natural was far beyond their ability to tackle, to endure, to conquer. Something had to break first spiritually. It was beyond their ability. And so now rewinding to uh, this blind man named Bartimaeus, he is now sitting on the very dirt and dust of this incredible miracle, but he sits with walls of his own. The promises of God he's heard, the faithfulness of God he's heard about, that God will come through, God can come through, but he is stuck still waiting waiting and waiting. I think that's hard for us sometimes, even as believers, when we hear the faithfulness of God. We even see what God is doing in other people's lives, but then here we are stuck, unable to see what's next. We're, we find ourselves stuck in the waiting, waiting in the pain. And so imagine blind Bartimaeus. I'm going to call him Bart for short just so I don't have to say all that. So, so Bart, day after day, he's begging, he's frustrated, he's discouraged. He's hearing about everything God has done in the past. Hey, you're sitting on the dust, bro. For miracle. Yeah, 
yeah, well, I don't feel the miracle. He's reminded of his limits. He's reminded every day of what he's not. Looking at what God is doing in everybody else's life, but he stays stuck. It's so worse. Pain will remind you of your limitations, doesn't it? Anybody ever uh, experienced when you were a kid, somebody said, heads up! What does that mean? Watch out. Duck. Right? Or, or if you play golf, anybody play golf? Anybody? Four! Whenever you yell at those two, very rarely are you going to see somebody be like, heads up, what's going on? Right? As soon as they hear heads up, they duck their head down. Some of you guys didn't respond, so maybe you don't know what to do. Let me help you. Whenever you hear heads up, just duck. That's, that, that's always a, a good rule of thumb. From past experience, I've been hitting the head a lot, so just duck. Duck your head down. And if you hear four, don't, don't look around like, four? No, just you hear four, just duck. It's, it's, it's rule of thumb. This, when you hear that, you, you duck. That's what you do. And, and so when you hear those things, I, I want you to understand this. We're reminded in that very moment when we duck of our limitations. Because I don't know if you knew this, but, but in that moment when you hear four, when you hear heads up, there's complex messaging that's happening, right, from our senses that go to our brain that go to our reaction. The problem is, is it takes 0.25 seconds for you to actually conceive it, process it, and respond to it, whether it's taste, whether it's texture, whether it's something that you're hearing, whether it's, it's any, anything that, that needs us to respond. So you know what that means? It means that you and I are never in real time. Like even as I'm saying this right now, you are seeing the, as, as the, the light is, is reflecting my image and as my voice and the sound is projecting, you are seeing me as I was a, a, a split second ago. Like we're just never in real time. Uh, the sun, you will never see the sun in real time. It takes eight minutes for the light rays of the sun to hit us. And so we conceive and process that. That is a long time. So every time you see the sun, you're like, that was eight minutes ago. Amazing. And so it just reminds us that, man, we are very limited. We are very slow to respond. And you and I are living in this world, in this body, in this flesh. The Bible speaks of the flesh, of our our mind, our will, and our emotions that are subject to sin that sometimes hinders us from seeing God being present in our very pain at this very moment. And so, so we're reminded in the pain of our limitation because it, sometimes it takes us a while to process this reality that God is with us, that God is really for us. The only, t- the only difficulty is it normally doesn't take a split second. Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it takes months. Sometimes it takes days for us to realize. It doesn't have to, but sometimes it does for us to realize that God is present right now in this moment with us in the middle of our pain. And so, so I want to encourage you because limitations is not a bad thing. In fact, when we see that we are limited, we are positioned to see that God is limitless. That's a great perspective. Because if you miss this second half, it's just like, I'm so limited. It's never going to work. Just, uh. It could be a scary thing to only see your limits without seeing God's limitless ability. And it, it will leave you stuck. So the first bubble that James is going to give us today is simply trust God with things that are outside of our control. 
James is going to encourage us to do that. He's going to take our focus in just a moment off of our situation, off of our limits, and on to things that that can really go the distance. It's going to get our eyes off of the temporary and on to eternal. It's going to get our eyes off of things that are outside of our control and encourage us to get our eyes on Jesus. This is what he says. James chapter 5, verse 7 8. He says, be patient. Then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Now, what in the world does the Lord's coming have to do with my problems? Hey, listen, I know you're struggling, but the Lord's coming. Just, he's, he's coming, he's coming, it's near. What James is doing in this moment, he's helping to get our eyes on the bigger picture. He's helping, to get, helping us to get our eyes on eternity. He's, he's helping us to see that there's more than just where we're at and what's in front of us. You know, I was uh, listening to this historian this last week, and it, I just learned some things about history. And she was talking about the fall of the Roman Empire. And I, I, di- I didn't know this, but after the fall of the Roman Empire, it was pretty brutal. Meaning the Romans had it dialed pretty good. They had roads, cold water. They figured out ways to get hot water. They had a pretty good system. I mean, they, the engineering that the Romans had was amazing. But after Rome was conquered, they, they experienced kind of this September 11th like we experienced where their army got hit kind of surprisingly. I mean, for the longest time, Rome didn't even have walls because they didn't need it. And they, they conquered so much of the land. And they, there came a moment of their downfall. It just got really dark. They said that potentially if the Apostle Paul was born a generation later, he wouldn't have been able to do the missionary trips that he did because it was way too volatile and hostile. He would, have, he would have died, and of course, God could have spared him, but they're just kind of giving you perspective on how bad it was during that time. And so what ended up happening, ironically, is they started to blame the church. They started to blame Christians because Christianity, man, really had such an impact on Rome to such a degree that pagan worship was almost non-existent. They stopped offering, uh, uh, they stopped offering sacrifices to God's. And to, to some of the pagan gods. And so when all of this blew up, they said, it, they really pointed the finger at the Christians and said, if we were offering sacrifices to pagan gods, we would still be in power. This wouldn't be happening. And so anyways, it was a nightmare. Politically, it was a nightmare. Um, the Christians were trying to function in this, in this, this space where there was some hostility, uh, but, but they were still able to move around. And so Augustine was one of the church leaders of, the time, of that time, and he was reminding people that, hey, listen, first be reminded, followers of Jesus, Christians, he was speaking to the Christians, he said, be reminded that we are not citizens here, that our citizenship is in heaven, and we are passing through. So he just helped the church get their eyes back on eternity. And so what I didn't know is that's why these cathedrals were built so opulent. With all of the beauty and the majesty and the gold. At first, a lot of times I'm like, man, you spent so much money and time on a building. Like, why? It's because it was so dark outside that when people came into the church, they wanted them to be reminded of where they're going. 
that this is just kind of a foretaste of, of, of what's to come, that you are citizens of heaven. So get this perspective. It's beautiful. It's glorious. There's, there's no tears. There's no pain. And, and so when you go out of these doors, you are to be reminded that you are first a citizen of heaven and now go and work for the good of the city. How beautiful is that? And so it was just get your eyes up. I mean, if you were a billionaire and you had 30 bucks, you went to the airport, jumped on a plane, but before you jumped on a plane, you had some lunch, and that lunch cost you $10. But you get on the plane, you realize you only have 10 left, so that means you either gave the waiter an extra tip or you dropped it somewhere. If you're a billionaire, do you think when you land in that next area where you're traveling to that you're going to call in the Calvary because you lost 10 bucks? Hey, guys! Call in the police, send the cavalry, lost 10 bucks. No, you're going to be like, man, somebody's going to be blessed today as I'm on my way to a bank account full of millions, billions. And James is saying, I want you to get your eyes on the riches and the beauty and how much we have in Christ. So that as you look out into the earth, you realize that, oh my goodness, I know this seems huge and I know that seems huge and, and these things are important, then yeah, absolutely, but don't forget of all the riches that you have in Christ, that God is coming for you, that God has not forgotten about you. Listen, he's coming again, and when you start to feel the limitations, be reminded of the one who is limitless. Because if not, then the pain gets our awe. The pain gets our wonder. It gets our praise. It gets our conversation. And so James said, like the farmer, man, you got to learn from the farmer. I don't know of a job that requires more patience and more dependence on God than a farmer. I mean, think about this. I need the weather to work properly. Hashtag this morning was not one of those days. And the farmer just has to deal with it, right? The farmer can't say, rain now. Stop raining, right? Because if the crop gets too much water, it rots doesn't get enough water there's a drought if it gets too cold it freezes that's a stressful job and a lot of it is outside of your control as a farmer you just can't do anything it's like is it gonna is it gonna rain but 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 you've seen the consistency and the provision of God's hand and, and so there there is kind of hey a, a generality of I know kind of how this works a little bit but it takes a lot of patience to be a farmer because you're just subject to the weather you're subject to the rain and I just want to tell you that, that that may not seem like a big deal. You might be saying, well, why is that even good, like, to be in that space? Can I tell you, when, when God is all you have, that's a great place to be in. Not at first. It's terrifying. But it's a great place to be in when you start to learn that, God, if you don't come through, I'm done. Because it, 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 like the farmer, the farmer plants and waters. So the farmer's working diligently. Then the farmer sleeps. The farmer rests. Because there's just some things that I just, they just can't control. I'm going to plant like crazy. I'm going to water. I'm going to tend the fields. I'm going to do all that I know how. And then I'm going to sleep. And if you don't come through, God, I'm toast. And that's just a beautiful place to live in because it's, it's exciting um, to know that God, it, like if it doesn't work out, it's like, man, it's, I'm doing my part. But there's some things that are outside of my control. This blind man, there was no cure. There, there was no option. He was very, very limited. 
And so he trusted God with the things he couldn't control. And then number two, we want to honor God with what we can control and be patient like the prophet. You see, the prophets spoke truth, and they never stopped. didn't matter what season it was. didn't matter if it was a good season or a bad season. They continued to cry out to God. And like the farmer, the prophet reminds us to be patient in the midst of the pain. Like, like the farmer um, being, uh, r- reminds us that patience doesn't mean we just sit back and wait. Like, okay, Jesus is coming, so get the ice cream, get the popcorn. Let's wait it out. No. The prophet nor the farmer is is just sitting idle. The prophet is crying out. The prophet is declaring truth. The prophet is on mission. And the farmer is the same way, planting, you know, rototilling, doing everything they know how with great expectation for God to move in the land, both spiritually and practically. The prophet is is looking with spiritual expectation. The the farmer is looking with, with, with practical manifestations. So it's just this, this beautiful collision that we need to get working in the midst of our patience. We don't just sit back like we are in it, and we're expecting God to move. So James says this way. He says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. The, the, the prophets, I mean, they were living, a majority of them, in times of turmoil. A wicked culture, persecution, injustice. But they were still crying out to God for help. They were still declaring truth of God's mercy, of God's goodness, of God's judgment, and the reality that there is a living God who is still sovereign over all of this. Like there was just a consistent message. And my prayer is that God would open up our ears in this hour. That God would open up our ears in this time, that the Holy Spirit would give us ears to hear. Because while Bart was in the waiting, while he was waiting in the dust, while he was waiting in the dirt, he couldn't control what he saw because he couldn't see. But he could hear. And he honored God with what he had. He could hear. He's sitting in the dark, and he hears a stirring Stir, like something's happening. What, what's going on? So he starts to ask questions. What's going on? What, what's going on? They said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. What? The God in the midst of his darkness is passing by. And he recognizes it. He uses what he has. And he's painting. He's like, what? What? Who, who is it? No way. God forbid we ever become a church that fails to recognize the presence of God in the dark. The presence of God as he is passing by the presence of God in dark times. God is present in the dark. He's not afraid of it. And he's present in real time. He's not delayed. He's not limited. He's present in real time. And so this guy began to cry out because he couldn't see, but he could hear and he could cry. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit will give you ears to hear these beautiful words found in Deuteronomy 31, 6. It says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Like, what if this guy would have just sat down and pouted? It's never going to work. He'll never see me. This is just, it's too dark. I can't see it. All of these things were out. There were so many things that were outside of his control. But no, he's like, no, I can hear and I can cry. So he cries out. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. And that verbiage coming off the, the mouth or the lips of a Jewish person was, was huge. 
Because what he was saying was, this guy isn't just a prophet. This guy isn't just a miracle worker. This is the very son of God. This is the Messiah. This is the one who has authority over all things, over sickness, over disease, over all circumstances. And nothing can keep him from moving, no matter what. Like, like this is the Lord. And I hope that not only are we a church that can't recognize God's presence in the dark, but I pray that we never come so, become so sophisticated that we can't cry out to him. Because it's undignified. Can I just tell you, sometimes crying out to God, it's, not, it's just not the popular thing to do. Yeah. You, you tell people, hey, what are you, what are you doing? That people ask you, what are you doing about this? Well, man, I've been crying out to God. Okay, but what else are you doing? It's just not very popular. But, but can I just tell you that it's huge because God hears the cry of his people. Psalm chapter 18, verse 6 says, but in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help, and he heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Going all the way back to Exodus, the people of Israel in slavery for 400 years, God goes to Moses and says, hey, Moses, I'm going to raise you up as a deliverer for my people. I've heard their cry. And can I just tell you, this is so important that we don't lose our cry, because when we cry out to the Lord in our pain, we let the world know who's the answer to their pain. Sometimes our cry gets other people's attention. And believe me, this guy on the side of the road, son of David, they're like, man, he's calling him like God. Like, could this be true? Like, what is this guy saying? We got to go see. Oh, you know, as he began to hurl those words, oh, a crowd started to gather even more. What's going to happen now? And I just think we're, we're living in, 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 in a dark time where the enemy would love to silence our cry. The enemy would love to silence our mouth so that the gospel won't come out. And that's exactly what happened to Blind Bart. He's crying out, son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples are like, shut up, bro. Come on, man, like tone it down. We're moving here. You're an interruption. How many of us feel like an interruption to God sometimes on the journey? Like, God, you have so many other things to do, like my pain. I mean, you really got time for me? And that's what the disciples declared. You're an interruption, bro. We're moving. We're going places. You're blind. You're a beggar. You're, you're, you're really marginalized. We don't have time for you. We don't have space. We're, we're making things happen. And, I mean, you could just imagine this guy is in the midst of that. He could have just said, fine. But he said, no, son of David. Like, he just cries out even louder. Here he is oppressed by Rome, oppressed by blindness, and now he's oppressed by the church. That's a tough spot to be in. But he cries all the louder. And like Joshua fighting the Amalekites, cries out to God that the sun would stand still so they could finish the battle. So in this moment, he cries out to God and the sun, S-O-N, stops and stands still in the middle of his pain. I mean, that, that, that's a powerful thing. You know, you know that cry that when you see little kiddos, like my girls, they have a cry. Like I know when it's like, like a fake whining, and I know when they hurt themselves. You know, where there's a little bit of pause, there's, ah, and you're like, oh gosh, here it comes. Yeah. You just know, and that cry, it moves your heart in a different way. Like, like it moves you to a place of urgency, you stop in your tracks, and you're like, what's wrong? Something is wrong. And so this guy's cry has caused Jesus to stop. And I love this because God uses the very source of his pain, or one of the sources of his pain, and uses it to bring him closer to him. 
So Blind Bar, one of the sources of pain was, his, was the disciples because they were trying to keep him away. But God said, I'll use the very source of your pain to bring you closer to me. And what does he tell the disciples? Go get him. They're like, bro, we just told him to shut up. I know, go get him. So it's almost like, hey, this is your lucky day. Get up. It's like a mafia, right? Get up. It's called for you. And, and I, just, I just think about that. The very op- obstacle that the enemy was using to keep him back, God used it to bring this man closer. Don't be mistaken. God can use your pain in very creative ways. And he's always working for your good and for his glory. And so, I, and I tell you, I'd rather be in pain close to God than comfort and far away. I'd rather be comfortable and close, but uh, if I'm just being honest, um, Lord, I'm not saying I need any more pain. Um, but but it's, it's just the reality. And so I think it helps us to, to come to the last bubble, and that's just to remember that there's purpose in it. There's purpose in the pain. It goes on to say, this last portion, he says, You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Job didn't feel like this in the beginning. Job was like, you've taken everything. Like, what is going on in my life? And so Job was just, oh, just wrestling 42 long chapters of suffering. And finally, he sees this beautiful reality. He says, I know you can do all things now, Lord. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Like, I thought, like, God, you missed it. Like, maybe you're not sovereign on this one. But he says, none of your purpose can be thwarted. My eyes and ears have heard of you, but now I've seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job was just humbled himself like, man, I, I had you all wrong. You haven't left me in my pain. You've been present the whole time, compassionate and merciful toward me. Job realized that life is full of pain, but he also had a hard time being patient in it. And sometimes it takes us 42 chapters to realize that. And even in the midst of that, God is still super gracious to us. So let me just show you this last last slide, this last picture. This is Van Gogh's final painting. Or not final painting, but a painting that happened sometime after the starry night. And you can see that this thing is bathed in yellow. Absolutely bathed. See, what happened was his heart began to mend as he became open again to the gospel, to the truth of God's word, back to Christ himself. And now you just see that this painting is not just a painting with a bunch of yellow, but it's very significant. This is the painting of Lazarus coming out of the tomb after he was dead. Now, what's, what's fascinating about this is he paints his own face on Lazarus, declaring now that, I get it. I see, God, that you are faithful in the pain. He paints his face declaring, I believe in the resurrection, that God can bring life out of death. And God has brought me from death to life. I mean, look how much yellow was on this painting. Declaring to the world that the resurrected Savior is true. And if God is for me, who can be against me? 
I just wonder today if it's time that we paint with a new color. I know everything outside, right now, it's like we should be painting very dark. Whether, but whether you're in your home or you're, you're here today, can, I just, can this just be a moment where we, we come back like they did after Rome's destruction and be reminded that we are citizens of heaven? That we are not living for this life. However, we do have a responsibility in this life to be light and salt. And so I wonder if we could just catch a glimpse like James saying, man, get your eyes off of the temporary. Get it back onto the reality that Jesus is coming back, that he's really risen from the dead, that God can bring life out of death. And maybe as we look out, as we storm the streets, as we look out into some of the, the vacancies, as we, we look into to our homes and into our hearts, maybe, just maybe, we can start to believe again that nothing is impossible for God, that he is still able to resurrect that which has died. The Bible says very clearly that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead as followers of Jesus lives on the inside of us and is able to give life to our mortal body, meaning the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us that rose this man from the dead, that brought Jesus out of the tomb, lives in us. So we should not be walking around with a dark paintbrush, but we should be painting yellow everywhere we go. Knowing that this is not the end, and the end will always reveal his compassion and his mercy. Whether it's in this life or the next life, we win both ways. We got to get back on our painting skills, and we need to change the color. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, as we wrap up, I just pray, God, that you would awaken our hearts to the beautiful reality that you're for us, that you're with us, that you are the risen Savior. There's hope, there's life, there's love, there's joy, there's peace. But we also know, as the prophets declared, there's judgment. Hell is real. And we're living in a time and an hour where people desperately need you. So may we leave today with a fresh heart. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. A relationship with God. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship with God. Religion says come to church, check, check it off the box, and I'm kind of good for the week. It doesn't matter if I really sin a lot because then, you know, I come back to church, check it off, and kind of clears my conscience. But relationship says, no, I want to be with you. Relationship is where you go from darkness to painting everything with yellow. What happened to Van Gogh is he just, he, he, he just he came into relationship with God or came back into a right relationship with God. And it changes colors. It changes the way we see. It goes from darkness to light. And so if that's you today, whether you're online or you're in person, and you say, Pastor Matt, that's me. I'm going to pray a prayer with you. And for the sake of time, we're just we're gonna all, we're gonna all pray with them. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but just if that's you, pray this from your heart today. Just say, Lord Jesus, Lord, I surrender. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead you're alive your ear is not deaf and your arm is not short that you can't reach into my pain and meet me in this moment I confess you as my Lord and as my Savior fill me with your spirit Lord I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you would you forgive me Wash me clean. 
Lord, I pray you'd give me a new color today. That, Lord, I begin to see through the lens of the gospel. That I see the world. That I see myself. And that I would see you through a brand new lens. That I might paint yellow in hope of everywhere that I go. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand? Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.